Hey guys, welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. All right, uh, welcome back to Medicus. So today we have a special guest. Um, it's my personal friend, Justin Cooper. But before we introduce him, we have kind of some double exciting news. We are actually joined today by one of our newest members, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. So we'll just turn it over to Joe. Hi, everyone. I'm Joe Flores. I'm an M1 at Loyola. Very excited to be here. Just moved in from New York City. Um, where I did undergrad and grad school at Fordham University and was working um, in the hospitals there up until two months ago. Um, so excited to be on the team. Well, welcome. So like I said, today we have a very special guest. I am going to kind of give just a brief introduction as to how I came to, to know Justin, but obviously I'm going to let him tell his story a little bit more. So I first met Justin through an organization called YPC or Young Professionals Council, which is essentially a group of individuals that are... Um, that promote and work towards advocacy for disability rights within the Chicagoland community. And I've only been a part with them for maybe just two, three months now, but I've been amazed at the changes and the type of movement and just uh, advocacy that has been able to be done through this platform. So I was excited to have him on here to hear his story, to hear him talk, especially about what's currently going on in Chicago, right? So Justin, if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I can. And thank you for, you know, have, having me on here. Really, really appreciate it. And so, um, yeah, my name is um, Justin Cooper. I am a filmmaker, photographer, and um, disability advocate. So I wear many hats within the uh, disability community. I am currently the president of the Young Professionals Council at Access Living. Um, I am also a member of Advanced Your Leadership Power or AYOP. And I'll um, explain more about what, 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 what they do um, in, in a little bit. And um, I do a lot of different advocacy work uh, in various forms of disability. So I've done stuff with affordable housing, um, dealing with um, homelessness, dealing with accessibility in Chicago. And so, like I said, I wear, I wear many hats. <laughs> yeah. How did you first kind of become involved in this? Like, how did you, how did you start wearing all those hats? Oh man, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting because it's um, actually, it's through a film that I actually did called the wheelchair Chronicles. And the film is about, you know, my life in a wheelchair. And I started working on it back in like 2012. And then like in 2014, I got involved in doing some like physical therapy at the day rehab center at the then Rehab Institute of Chicago, now known as the um, Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. And I was telling a lot of the therapists there about, you know, my film, what I was, what I was trying to do and, and all that. And one of the therapists actually reached out to me via email and was like, hey, you know, I'm like the co-president of this, of this organization at Access Living called, you know, YPC. And, you know, would you be like interested in like coming through and being a part of it? And so I was a little hesitant at first, but um, I was like, okay, you know, I'll come through and, you know, learn about what, what, what they do and what the organization does. And, you know, since my first time being there in like, wow, April of 2014, 
I never left. I never left the group. (laughs) So they actually got me like the very first, the very first day that I was like learning about the group. And so through that time, it sort of evolved for me doing like a lot of different work within the disability community through YPC to, you know, eventually becoming like the president of, of the group. And so it's been a huge leap, you know, over the past like six or six, seven years, just being, you know, a part of that group. And so I always say that my film is sort of like it's, it, it intersects a lot of things that I do in a community. So I've done stuff with um, YPC. And then through that, I've done stuff with Access Living. Through that, doing stuff with AYLP. And through that, doing a lot of different stuff within the disability community. And so my film just really put me within the advocacy work that I'm doing today. And so for that, I'm very thankful because it's given me opportunities that I never thought, you know, were were possible. What was your kind of, so now I'm kind of curious, your initial hesitations towards coming to the group to access living, were those dispelled kind of instantly or did, was it kind of just like a gradual process? It was more of a gradual process because like growing up, I didn't really know a lot of people with disabilities. And so I felt like for me early on, like it wasn't really, it wasn't really for me. And like the the funny part about that is that where I live, I live like almost less than a mile away from Access Living. And so when I was like living, you know, living in my neighborhood, I would pass by it all the time and never like never once stepped foot in the building until, you know, being a part of that open house with YPC in 2014. And so for me, I was a little hesitant, but as time went on and I got to know a lot of the people there and a lot of the advocates from other organizations, I was was comfortable, you know, not only with myself, but just comfortable within like my, with my disability, because I felt that sometimes I was a little, you know, I was a little, little hesitant, you know, sure. dealing with my disability and how people were going to accept me as a disabled person. But being a part of YPC, being a part of Access Living, and, you know, being a part of these other organizations where I was just meeting some badass, like, <laughs> disabled advocates. And I was just like, oh, and th- th- these people, they're, they're like, they're really awesome. And they do not care, you know, what people think about them they're going to continue to be themselves. And, you know, and that was like, wow, like for me, that was sort of like a turning point for me, just seeing and being a part of this wide range of like folks with disabilities and just learning to be myself. And so I've, it's been a gradual process to now I'm really more open in expressing, you know, who I am as a disabled person, advocating for myself and advocating for others. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's such a huge part of, uh, I mean, so as a med student, I always feel like advocacy is sort of one of those types of qualities that I feel like med students really want to have, but sometimes they don't know how to advocate. And so being a part of like groups like this, like me, I've only been here a couple of months and even I've noticed a change in myself. Like I feel like being associated with an organization like Access Living, Young YPC is so helpful. Like it really does uh, just encourage you to become something better to start using your voice for uh, important issues, right? Right, yes, exactly. And it's like, you kind of like open your eyes to, uh, to, to advocacy 
and the many different forms of like disability advocacy. And so it's something for me that was just an eye-opening experience for me. And it, it's, it's taken me like, you know, years to sort of get comfortable with who I am and being like, oh, yeah, this is these issues, especially within the disability community are very important and people should know and people should be able to advocate and people should be able to join us in, you know, these in these actions, you know? Yeah, definitely. So I want to, I actually kind of want to hit some of these issues. Like, what are some of the current issues that are the big things that are maybe on your, your to do list, right? What's number right. one? What's what's kind of going on? So it was one thing about being a disability advocate. There is a lot going on. So <laughs> it's not, there's not just there's not just one thing that's like a, a specific issue or topic. It's just like everything is sort of happening all at once, and so you have to navigate through all of these different issues. And so one of the, one of the most important issues, I think, you know, at the moment is as always as it's going to be is um, accessibility, especially like within Chicago. And that's something that is constantly, you know, on our mind as, you know, people with disabilities. And it's not just like, it's not just physical access, like having an accessible door. It's being able to have an accessible place, being able to navigate through the city, whether you you're, uh, you use a, use a wheelchair, you're uh, deaf or hard of hearing or visually impaired. And so accessibility is always going to be at the forefront because, you know, this is what, as, as people with disabilities, this is what we do on, the, on a daily basis. And this is, you know, our lives. And so in order for us to be a part of the community, things have to be um, accessible. And then um, an always going to be an issue is affordable housing. Um, that is something that we are constantly fighting for, not just for non-disabled folks, but, you know, disabled folks as well, because, you know, we need, if we're going to be a part of the community, we need to be able to have access to affordable housing. And that is always going to be an issue in Chicago. That's something that you're always going to be, you know, be fighting for. And then another, another issue, of course, is racial and social justice. That is always on it's always on the forefront for us, especially folks who are who are black or brown or you know Asian that are always dealing with these type of things. And so there's so many things that we that intersect with each other that affect us in our community. And so we're constantly fighting these battles. And then like most recently is a new battle that we've been fighting for us for mental health. You know, especially, you know, now in this COVID era where it's been difficult for a lot of us within the community because we need interaction with each other and not being able to physically interact with one another, is, it's been difficult. And while virtually it's fine, all of us being here, you know, virtually talking with each other, but having that physical being physically close to each other is something that's really been affecting us within our community. So everything pretty much inter, inter, intersects with each other in terms of issues. Touching on that mental health, I know that that's, that's one of the big things that we wanted to have you on to talk about today because YPC and Access Living, they've uh, joined together to promote, or they've been working with the state legislator to promote recent bills, CESA, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Um, sure, sure. Um, and so um, one of the things that we're um, working on within the state right now with um, AYLP is um, called CESA. And um, CESA stands for the uh, Community Emergency Services and Support Act. And so um, members of AYLP advance your um, leadership power, which um, started actually started off as a youth organization and um, eventually turned into um, a racial and social justice organization. And we saw within our research and just asking people within the community that there wasn't a, like an appropriate service for you know, providing mental or behavioral health emergencies. And oftentimes when you, know, you had those type of emergencies, law enforcement would be like sent out to de-escalate many of these situations. And unfortunately, in some instances and in some, in some circumstances, the, it, it actually escalated the problems even more. And so what the CESA bill is, is that it, it, it addresses like the health, the health needs of people who are not violent and who are not violating the law by sending support instead of law enforcement. And so it expands the reach of current programs operating across the state that have already sort of rejected the co-responder models for this population. To backtrack a bit, the um, co-responder model sort of evolves like having a emergency responder and a, um, a police officer come to address these health emergencies. But what CESA does, and is the one thing that is very important when we talk about this bill is that police involvement is, is, is not a part of this bill. And so we constantly have to, you know, repeat that because we want people to know that this is something that is an alternative to um, calling the police. And so th this is sort of a mobile response service and that we're proposing. And it's based off another model actually in Oregon called CAHOOTS. And the CAHOOTS model is, um, it actually provides like 24 seven behavioral health services integrated into like local public safety infrastructure. And so that is sort of like what our bill is pretty much based on along with other like systems that have worked in other cities and states, such as in, I think in, in Houston and also in Delaware, they have like similar models. And so that's what we're trying to build here in Illinois with CESA. That's awesome. Um, you were talking about there would be a responder team, you know, without police officer involvement. Who are those responders? Are they mental health specialists? Are they EMS? Are they, you know, a different kind of first responder that we don't have yet? What does that look uh, like? That's a, actually, Joe, that's a very good question. And so what, um, what that entails is having, you know, EMT first responders and also um, social workers who would, you know, respond to these emergencies because they have the most experience in dealing with a lot of these a lot of these cases and have sort of the proper and appropriate de-escalation techniques when it comes to like mental and behavioral health emergencies. And so that's very important to us because while having law enforcement is is is, is good, it, it don't get me wrong, it's it's good, but in situations like this where you need proper officials and proper professionals who have the experience in handling these type of situations to, you know, put them in, in at the forefront 
and letting them take care of these situations. So with Sessa, anywhere there is an ambulance service, we feel like they should be the ones responding to these emer- emergencies because they have that experience. It's, it seems like there's a lot of groups that are potentially involved in this type of a change. Like you have policemen on one hand, you have EMT services, you have mental workers. What's been the level of support or maybe not support, depending on like the group? Yeah, and we've had like a lot of like really, you know, big supporters who are like for for the CESA bill. And so one of the main, actually the main two uh, uh, people that have been in support of this bill is um, Senator Robert Peters and um, State Rep Kelly Cassidy. They have been really supportive of what we, what, what, what we're doing and getting, you know, support downstate for our bill and everything. And then also we have like organizations like, of course, um, Access Living has been like very supportive of us and in support of CESA. The um, ACLU is, you know, very supportive of this. Um, another organization, the um, Arc of Illinois, is really in support of this. The um, Chicagoland Autism Connection, um, the Chicago Torture Justice Center. There's another group called um, One North Side. They um, they have an organization on the north side of, of Chicago, and um, Stop, which um, works in the south side of Chicago. And so we do have some like very prominent people within like leadership and like within these um, organizations that are in support of CESA. And we're just and it's continuing as we you know as we continue to you know get support for the bill as we continue to lobby for the bill. And so their support has like really, really helped, you know, get people behind CESA. Mm-hmm. So I'm also kind of curious about how this is going to kind of practically play out. So if someone, for example, were to call in to the 911, would there be, or would it even be 911? Would there be like a separate phone number or something like that? So no, it would actually still be through the 911 system. One of the things that we've noticed is that when you're in an emergency, so if, if, if there's a crime that is, is taking place, you know, you call the police, you know, you call 911 to get asked for the police, right? If you're in like an emergency where you need to go to the hospital or you need to see a doctor or you don't need to go to the emergency room, you know, you can call 911 and request that. But there isn't a system really fully in place where you can call to ask for, you know, mental or behavior, if you're going through a mental or behavioral emergency. And so when those calls are put into 911, they can only dispatch law enforcement. And so it's like in those situations, if the law enforcement officer is coming to, you know, check on somebody who's going through these, going through these, um, health, this health emergency, it's sort of puts them in a dilemma and um, it places, you know, a dilemma on folks in the 911 system that you're either going to put them in an institution or you're going to arrest them and put them in jail. One of the things that we kind of want to focus on is that when those calls are in place, the 911 system can automatically direct folks to, you know, EMTs and the social worker and saying, hey, this is an emergency, just go and check just to see if everything's okay. And you would have that proper system in place, you know? Mm-hmm. Can you uh, elaborate for us or maybe just give us an example? When you say a mental health emergency, what, what would that look like? You know, what is someone, is this like a bystander who would call and what are they looking at and that might 
trigger, you know, this SESA um, response, or is it, you know, something that's going on in the home? Um, can you just give us some examples? Um, yeah, that's that, that's a that's a that's a good question. When someone's going through a mental or like behavioral, you know, health emergency, it could be like you know they're they're going through they're going through a crisis or you know something that's like they really need someone to just to talk to them or they're not violent. Then most of the cases are really non-violent and they just need someone to talk to and need someone to just come through and sort of de-escalate a lot of, uh, of the, you know, situations. And so that's, I think that would be like the main thing with EMT responders and having a social worker because they have that experience and the training to handle a lot of these situations. It's, it's one of those things that I think it's very important for people to, um, to understand that when these emergencies come up, having the proper people there who can guide and who can support and, you know, who can make sure that situations don't escalate even further, you know? What about in the situations that they do escalate? What will be the, what's standard operating protocol in those situations? In those rare situations where if the medical health professional is like being threatened or is injured, the bill does permit, you know, Cecil responders to call for backup, but only in, in those situations where it escalates even further. That's why it's important to have the emergency responders and, you know, social workers on hand who have the experience and who have the, have the training. And so just in case those situations happen, you know, the bill does permit those responders to call for backup. Um, so assuming that this bill gets passed, what kind of happens next? Mm, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that, that's, that's a very good question. And, you know, if this bill is passed by the Illinois state legislator, CESA would establish an emergency response option for mental health emergencies, one that does not involve police or law enforcement. So what it would do is that CESA would require like each of the state's EMS regions. So there's like 11 different like emergency regions within Illinois that would coordinate a mobile mental and behavioral health, you know, service through its 911 provider. So that such service is available wherever like the region provides an ambulance service. And so wherever there's an ambulance service, those regions can establish their own like emergency response for these regions, you know, subject to like minimums, like service levels, each like EMS region decides, you know, the extent to which it will rely on like existing service options or encourage additional providers to offer services. What CESA will also do is that it will create a response service for mental and behavioral health emergencies everywhere an ambulance service exists. Um, it will require responders to use appropriate like de-escalation techniques and then connect callers to existing care providers or to available community services and supports. Um, it will also replace costly institutionalization with community-based and um, patient-directed care. And it will empower like each region to design their own appropriate system. You know, once this bill is, it, it, once this bill is passed, there's more that has to be done in order to make sure that there is a proper emergency response service in you know each region, re- each region of Illinois. If we're in Chicago, 
is going to be completely different. If you're in a region that's downstate, it's going to be completely different. But we give those regions the option to, you know, hey, to design their own a system that works for them. The bill gets passed. You know, there's still a lot of work that still needs to be done. What's the thinking behind having each of these regions create their own versus, hey, Illinois, this is now our policy. Let's have a unified response. You know, is it because of the resources in that community? Is it because of the demographics, the culture? You know, what's what's the thinking there? I think with like, since there's all of these different regions, I think to be to be honest, it would actually be a little bit difficult for like all of these regions to sort of come together and you know feel like oh yeah we should all you know do this you know this CESA model and you know it, it, and in each region um, it's completely different. So like here in in Chicago, you know we're in one region and the way they respond to different emergencies. It's gonna be completely different to say to someone who's way down in near Springfield, where the emergency response is gonna be completely different. I think that's why we wanted to put the emphasis on you know those regions coming up with their own response because you might have, for example, you know if you wanted you know to take someone to you know unavailable like a, a community service or somewhere that's, where their their existing care provider is gonna be. They might be in a completely different, it might be in one town and they might be living in a completely different town. And so those services are going to be different than it is, say, in, you know, in Chicago, where it's like a fully established 911 system. So I think that's why we wanted to put the emphasis on those regions, because their support systems are going to be completely different. Yeah. And I'm sure they, you know, they know how best to treat their particular demographics, their region exactly. to respond to those type of crises. Yeah. So that, that definitely makes sense. I know previously you mentioned that you'd worked with some of the state legislators. I'm curious as to your experience working with them. Positive, negative responses, difficult. And what was like the the back and forth between it? A lot of like traveling down south or how like how how did this, you know, how did the actual um, written portion of this come to be, if that makes sense? Well, like uh, dealing with state legislators, it's a very, it's a very interesting um, um, journey to, 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 to say the least. Uh, you're going to have some that are like in full, like immediate support of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. You're going to have, you know, some within the state legislator that are hesitant, uh, you know, or maybe I have to, you know, get more details or I, I have to ask more questions about about CESA and how this is going to affect folks in the state. Um, you're gonna have some folks who are within the legislature that are totally against it. And so navigating you know, and talking to state legislators is very important because you kind of, you have to kind of feel, it's sort of like a feeling out process. You sort of have to feel like how they're going to respond to, to this or how they're going to you know, feel about about CESA and going downstate. I think that's one of the things we were trying to do before COVID was one of the plans was to go downstate and, you know, lobby for CESA and go to the state capitol and talk to all of these folks, you know, about CESA. But then that all changed. And now we're sort of doing that via Zoom. 
via phone call. And that's also been something that's like been a bit of an adventure for, you know, for us, you know, trying to get support for Cessa. So it's like, you got to play the game. And that's the, that's the, that's the one one thing. You got to play the game and navigate through all of this. And, you know, one of the good things, you know, with Cessa is that we've had state legislators like fully in support of this bill and are, you know, working on their end to make sure that this is passed, to make sure that people know about what we're what we're trying to do as a as a group. Mm-hmm. What has been some of the resistance? <clears throat> Who have been the biggest critics? I guess I think it's more about people that are like having you know questions about uh, about how this is going to be put together, or like how this is going to work without without law enforcement. Um, I think that's just been more of the push the pushback on, you know, regarding this and um, it comes with the territory and, um, you know, the best thing that we could do is continue to, you know, to continue to lobby and continue to answer their questions about, you know, about what CESA and how this is going to affect different, different parts of the state and different EMS regions. And so I think it's just important for us, you know, we continue to, to talk and continue to, you know, to lobby and ask for support you know, that's the one thing that we can, you know, that we continue, continue to do. And hopefully we change, you know, we change people's minds who are on the fence about CESA. Mm-hmm. You know, what myths or misconceptions do you frequently find yourself clarifying for people? You know, just a quick one-liner. I think it's, um, I, I think it's, you know, really, you know, police, police involvement. And um, I think that's one of the main things. And that's why we constantly repeat that you know, this bill does not involve any police or law enforcement. And I think we, we sort of have to, you know, we always have to enforce that because that's not what this bill is all about. And so sometimes there could be confusion as to, you know, what we're trying to do. And then there are like other ordinances and other like legislation that's trying to, you know, pass that's some trying to do this, you know, the same things that we're doing with CESA but they're, they're doing it completely different. And so I think that's the one thing that we sort of have to like get into people's minds is that this you know, bill does not involve any police or law enforcement whatsoever. Can I, um, maybe, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know we've got a lot of uh, things going on, but I did want to maybe just pivot, just kind of bringing it back to maybe kind of some of our medical student listeners. Um, what would be some advice that you would give to med students who are either trying to get involved in any sort of advocacy or even like what would be some advice that you would give to med students um, in terms of how they're interacting with the disability community? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, it's probably two questions. Sarah. Yeah, no, it's okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's really good. Um, one of the things that, you know, with YPC, um, the majority of our members come from the medical field. And so I think that's that's one of the interesting things that I've I've learned like during my time, you know, as a member of YPC. And um, I think one of the things is that it's important. I think a lot of people are interested in learning about the disability rights movement. You know, with medical students, they're going to be interacting with folks with disabilities. And so I think it's important for med students who are like trying to learn about the disability rights movement is to be, you know, 
actively involved in you know groups like the um you know professionals council uh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm doing a promo for that so you know that's totally yeah. fine <laughs> so, so i think expect 10 more guests next time <laughs> hopefully so, yeah and so one of the things that they you know that we really want to do is to educate folks about the disability movement and realizing that there are so many different parts and issues that are going on that you know affect folks with disabilities and i think that's you know i think that's something that is interesting that i notice with med students who are just coming in and just learning about you know learning about what we're doing or coming to a ypc you know ypc meeting and just being fascinated about all the work that is being done in various ways and so i think just having that knowledge, I think it's also also having that knowledge is that coming in to a group like YPC, you know, you're learning a lot of, about a lot of new things, a lot of things you've probably been familiar with, but also a lot of new things. And so they're taking the knowledge that they've learned within YPC and taking it back to wherever they work at. So with med students, they're taking what they're learning from YPC and taking it back with them so that they can have a better understanding of how of how to interact with folks with disabilities. And it's something that I think is very important because for med students, I always say this, if you, you're coming into this field and you're working with people, folks with disabilities, you have to realize that you all are part of a team. And I think that's the one thing I always you know, tell people who ask me what advice they would give to like young med students. And I say it's like, if you're going to be, you know, interacting with folks with disabilities, you got to realize that y'all on the same team and that y'all all are on the same page. And it's important that we all work together as, as a group. Yeah, I like that. Any uh, last things? Maybe where can people go in terms of supporting this bill? What's the best uh, way to, to support? So uh, if people want to learn more about CESA and getting involved in it, they could go to um, Access Living's website at um, accessliving.org um, and they will go to um, defending our rights section. And below they have a lot of different issues that Access Living is focused on. And CESA is one of them. And so they have a link to, to CESA, learning more about what CESA is, learning more about how um, you can get involved. Um, and there's also, we're just about to finish up a week dedicated to um, CESA where like we've had people send their you know, written testimonials, video testimonials. A lot of people have been supporting, you know, CESA via social media. And so those are ways that people can, you know, learn more about CESA and um, get involved. And I'm um, also, I encourage people to um, learn more about um, AYLP. It's a very important group you know, that they've been working on this for so many years. And this is something that would benefit, you know, CESA would benefit a lot of people. So we need as much support as as possible to continue to keep this going. So even though like we're still doing all of this stuff this week, you know, there's still work to be done. And we need to make sure that people learn about CESA and support it. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I feel like um, this bill is very timely. And I I think it's amazing that I know uh, 
AYLP has been working on this since like 2014 or something like that. And yeah. it's mm-hmm. oh, wow. 2014. There's been a lot of work that's been, been put into this bill. And so it's so timely that it's right now, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, the reason why we're doing this because of people within like art in not only in the disability community, but like, and, you know, um, non-disabled folks who have shared their stories with us. And this is something that I think will benefit, you know, everyone. And so, yeah, we just continue to have people, you know, support Sessa. Yeah, uh, I guess we'll probably call that good. Thanks uh, again for coming on, Justin. This was awesome. Yeah, thank, I'm glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad that I could be a part of this. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine no patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.